Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Goonies never say die. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the H2O Podcast. I am Timothy Harvey. And I'm Jason Hunt. And we are joined this evening by Christopher, Hoff- Christopher Hoffman. Yes, welcome, hi. sir. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for um, letting me join. We are, on our last episode, we talked about the, the passing of Richard Donner and, of course, all the films and TV that he was involved in that really influenced a lot of <laughs> modern popular culture. <laughs> How much uh, uh, iconic series uh, and performances really are connected to his storytelling. And one of those films, if you are of an age mm. or the parents of kids no, and you were of an age. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> and you brought them along with you. Um, the 1985 film, The Goonies, yeah. is one of those movies that you go back and you look at that cast and you look at that production team and the number of people who are who went on to have you know really really prolific careers both in front of and behind the camera um, is really impressive, and it's a film from the '80s that holds up. And in an era of sequels, despite the fact there have been many many attempts to make sequels, it's never gotten one. And I'm going to argue that's a good thing. Yes, I agree. I agree. And and I'm not going to count the 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 failed TV series about the kids who were going to remake the Goonies shot for shot that lived and died very very quickly and needs to stay buried. I think I would have enjoyed buried. watching that because it was kids doing it. Well, yeah. It, Yes and no for me because there was that you know the, the story there were there were those kids who remade Raiders of the Lost Ark right, right. Mm-hmm. and of course you you're thinking that along those same lines because it's a Spielberg thing whatever I probably would be more interested in actually kids remaking Goonies shot for shot than a television production making a story about kids remaking the Goonies shot for shot because you get into the, the professional logistics of the thing. And then it's not, it's not the homemade thing that they're trying to make it look like. Well, not to mention you and I have both worked in the reality TV sphere a little bit. And uh, the phrase reality and television are. Yeah. Not necessarily well connected. No, it, I, there's there's something about this film. I mean, it was <coughs> excuse me. It was successful in its time, and a lot of cult classic films like The Goonies became cult classics after not having great box office. Right. No. Right. Uh, um, for its budget, uh, it was extremely successful. Uh, and it's 
if you were a kid and you went and saw the Goonies, you went along with this rollicking adventure. And then as an adult, you watch the Goonies and you realize what a very grown up film it actually is. Um, which I think to some degree is one of the reasons that it was successful with kids as much as it was, because it doesn't talk down to the audience of younger people. I think you could, you can, it doesn't, you know, there are plenty, there are plenty of films that are geared at younger audiences that, that also don't talk down to the audience, but it's a risk when you make a film for kids um, that you can often make a film that treats the audience less as an audience and more as we're making a movie for the children. <laughs> and that yeah. doesn't always work. Sometimes no. it does. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm just saying there are times it will get in the way. Because it's a PG-13 film <clears throat> now under the current rating. Because um, there's a lot of, you know, swearing dark content in that movie. Yeah, that, that's... I, Mindy and I watched it again last night. And by the way, Mindy has said that there's a little static on the line. So if any of you are hearing that, it it is likely coming from somewhere on my desk. Um, I might have a microphone cable crossing an electrical cable somewhere because of all of the jerking around that I've had to do with all of the different computer parts and pieces. So something... I may have a couple of wires crossed um, on the desk, uh, so uh, I need to uh, I need to retrace everything and make sure that that that's going on. So apologies, any of you that hear static tonight, it's it's not intentional. Um, although cross the streams, I did. I did again and again. I know, I know, I know. Well, I could and, and now. Go now ahead. you've ended up with a. Uh, family circus follow the dotted line <laughs> path that you have to do mm, yes exactly um that's that's one of the things that i'm gonna have to well because there's so much behind the monitors that's just i mean spaghetti exploded in in on the desk behind well, that's part the of your problem jason spaghetti is not a good conductor of sound i know i would I know. have gone with wires i know and preferably ones designed for traveling signs. Yeah. Is this did you did you cook the spaghetti long enough? Is it undercooked? I it it could be it could be undercooked. I, I usually I usually do all of these shows half baked, so you know. But I'm bump bump. These are the jokes, folks. Try the veal. Yes. Uh we'll be here all night. Um okay, so we watched it, Mindy and I watched it last night. And one of the things that I had forgotten was just how much of a mess, a hot mess, the dialogue is from the standpoint of everybody talking over each other. And I'm, I'm in, I don't know, I think we're about 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in, and I'm, I'm still thinking... I don't remember I don't remember it being such a muddle and then well of course it is it's a bunch of kids and what do kids do when they're in a group and they're all excited and hyper and, and, and there's this and this jumbled mess of the dialogue 
I mean, there's Richard Donner's verisimilitude coming at you, and 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 it was it was a different experience from what I've had before because you know now that I'm older and have you know watched a bunch of things and you know, experienced more in life and whatnot. The movie hits me a little bit differently now sure. than it did in 85. I mean, 85, I was 15 years old. So, you know, there, there's a very different uh, sentimentality now uh, that you wouldn't have had back then. And, 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 you know, the perspective of distance and time and, and whatnot. Sure. But also the the world we live in now versus the world we had in the 80s where when this movie was made if all we had to worry about was corporate raiders taking our land i think it would be a pretty tame movie if it was made today i mean the villains of the piece hardly show up in that sense True. I mean, you have the you have the bad guys, you have the Fratellis, and that that part of it, but the undercurrent of this whole reason why they're doing this to save the town, it only crops up a couple of two or three times throughout the entire movie. Well, and I, but I think that in some degree works very importantly with the story because from the point of view of this cast, these kids mm. off on the adventure, that's part of the adult world. And they're getting the bleed through yeah. the impact on their own lives, but dealing with the the corporate people and, and, and that side of things, that's what their parents are dealing with. Yeah. And Mikey and even says that, you know, when they're, when they're at the wishing well, he's like, that's up there. Mm -hmm. That's their, that's their thing to deal with. This is our time down here. And, and I think that you see what in a modern, you know, if, if someone were to make this film today, um, and I don't think necessarily think this would be a bad thing, but you would definitely, I think it, the odds would be good that you definitely have a scene with the parents talking about it in more detail or a scene with, yeah. you know, the corporate villains. Um, and, it's, and I'm like I said, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen, but I think that it doesn't happen in this film is one of the reasons that it feels the way it does because it stays with the kids so much i mean adults are in the movie but it's not the adult story mm -hmm. and i think that that's nothing wrong with that oh and not at all i mean I, it, it's i really enjoy the fact when when i saw it the first time that it just it focused so much on the kids that um I sort of forgot about the, I mean, I knew that they had to like, you know, go find the treasure, but I sort of forgot about the, you know, foreclosure and that sort of thing. I, you know, I was caught up with the, uh, the drama with uh, the Fratelli family. Yeah. I think the, the contrast also in the Fratellis and how they deal with each other, how they treat each other compared to the Goonies and how they treat each other, they're a little bit more alike than you might realize at first. 
You know, I mean, yeah, Mama Fratelli is slapping the crap out of the ki- out of the boys, and they're going after each other. But you look at how the Goonies are arguing and bickering and and back and forth and yelling at each other and shut mm-hmm. up and this and that and you know you don't let me ma. It is a group of friends, and they are going to have those little Spitfire moments. They're they're doing that. But you sympathize with the Goonies and not with the Fratellis. But they're doing the same thing. Well, and part Some. of that is, is it's kids do yeah. that and adults do it. And you're like, are you children? <laughs> and, you know, and I think that there's, <clears throat> again, it, the way it treats the audience and, and the younger viewers of the audience is that it, I think it lets them look at grownups and go, they're acting like a child can look at a grown up and say, you're acting like a child. Yeah. And that's not something you get. It, it, it's hard to do. And by the way, if you folks, if you have not seen the film, um, okay. If you've not seen the Goonies, first of all, first of all, <laughs> congratulations. You have the opportunity to see the Goonies for the first time. I, have I'm long past that I don't get that moment of you know experiencing it for the first time ever again yeah so congratulations on the other hand why have you not watched the Goonies um the cast of this film let's just touch on that for just a minute sure so uh Sean Astin he's done a few things since a couple of three things Movie series or something. Potatoes. Um, Corey Feldman, of course, one of the iconic stars of the 1980s. We actually had a story about him Saturday on Good Morning Multiverse. He's he's pretty much decided that he's not going to be doing movies anymore. Unless something comes along, he's uh, he's not feeling that he's getting the kind of roles he would like. And as an actor, you can understand that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, whether or not you you think uh, you know however you feel about Corey Feldman as an actor, uh, definitely as a teenage actor, he was incredibly prolific in the 1980s. I find um, it really uncanny, eerily so how much he has grown up to look like Charlie Sheen. Yeah, yeah, I could see some of that. I mean, if you, if you, and really, you look at the trajectory of both their careers and where they are now, Mm. you could, you could put them in a series as brothers and it could be a comeback for both of them. It seems like a very dangerous project that would be hard to get insured. <laughs> and the title of it would be Tiger's Blood. <laughs> a nightmare thought that is. Uh, Josh Brolin is in this film. Um, of course, he uh, he's also made a few pictures since. His debut film. <clears throat> His first movie. Um, Martha Plimpton, uh, who you have seen in so many things. Yeah. Um, these are, you know, really, uh, Anne Ramsey, who played Mama Fratelli, she, God rest her soul, 
um, was one of those actresses who she was almost built to play a certain kind of part. Yeah. And she made that irascible, unpleasant old lady part. She would have made a great Mrs. Hannigan. Oh. <laughs> right? He really was. I mean, she just, everything from, and, and, and just a master of, of facial expression. Just one of those people who, I mean, her face was, uh, her voice was incredible for the parts that she played. Incredible body language. Uh, but her face was just a, a master class in how to be, how, how to express irritation in every conceivable <laughs> flavor. Uh, just a really, I mean, you, if you've ever seen any of the stuff that she's done, um, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. Just a really, just an amazing, but one of those people who, you know, really she, one of those character actors who, who built a really solid career mm -hmm. out of playing the same kind of part. Um, well, I remember when, because um, you had the Goonies and you had Throw Mama from the Train, <laughs> which was two years later. It was 1987. And she's essentially playing the same part. Oh, sure. I mean, you could put Joe, you could put uh, uh, Robert Davy and, and Joe Pantoliano in Throw Mama from the Train and it'd yes, be the Fratellis. they're also in this film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, there are a lot of names. A lot of names and it's it's really great to see how uh she like took to the role of mama fratelli and that um like later on when i was looking at, at the, the goonies when i got older um i had also been introduced um to uh the acting stylings of, of ruth gordon and um she's also a, a a legendary character actress and um i almost i i, I think she, Anne Ramsey is, is kind of like the uh, anti-Ruth Gordon as, as far as um, you really, really get the, get the feeling that uh, she's, she's just this close from like slapping everybody. <laughs> and that whereas with Ruth Gordon, there was always a little bit of a twinkle in her eye and, and stuff like that. But um, I, I believe they're, they're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that really these two films, uh, uh, Goonies and Throw Mama from the Train, really were the end of the tail end of her career. Uh, you know, she was born in the 1920s. She'd done Broadway for decades. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, she was she had a very strong and powerful career up to this. You know, again, just one of those character actors um, who just regularly work. And here it is at the very end of her career. Uh, <clears throat> Because she died in 1988, um, she really had these two iconic roles that just made her. You know, she was a comedy star at the end of her life, which is fantastic. You know, uh, to have that kind of uh, 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 fun to play these roles. You know, at, at points where a lot of actors just aren't getting the roles. Mm -hmm. Well, and and Mindy pointed out in the chat that I needed to do this. She's given me an instruction. And uh, those of you who are watching live, you will be able to see this. And, and Tim and, and Christopher, I, I'm not able to feed this to you, so you're going to have to look at the YouTube thing. 
But it is a photograph of Josh Brolin. Opposite a photograph of Josh Brolin. And they are... Uh, it is uh, older Josh Brolin cosplaying as Josh Brolin as brand. <laughs> and... People, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that he was in this movie. Wait, that's Josh Brolin? Yes, that was Thanos in his very first ever movie role. So that <laughs> that's one of those things. Because like, I had even forgotten that he was in it. Right. Because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't stand out. He's part of the group. Everybody's in there. You know, I remember Short Round because he was in it. And this was right, right after, you know, he, he did this and, and Indiana Jones was about the same time. They both came out the same year, wasn't it? Wasn't Temple of Doom 85? 85 or 86? And uh, so, you know, it was like, well, there's Short Round. And I didn't think anything of this, this Brolin kid. Yeah, you know, and I didn't remember he was in the movie until years later. Like, wait, wait, what? Yes, okay, that's him. And then you know, some some in the cast didn't go on to have very long acting careers. I mean, uh, well, uh, the the kid who played Data, he ends up being a stunt coordinator in Hollywood. He he got out of acting. Although I still think that a that a Netflix, Amazon, miniseries about short round adventures. As a private detective, would be kind of fun. Oh, no question. Because he could, he could, he could meet Charlie Chan. Because you know that's what they do in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. He meets all right. these different historical figures. Why couldn't Short Round meet Charlie Chan? Licensing, probably. But I digress. Um, but I think, you know, to see, you know, uh, uh, what's her name who played Andy? She didn't She didn't have a, a long career after this. Uh, the kid Carrie who... Carrie Green? Uh, yeah, Carrie Green. Did, did, did she do a lot afterwards? I don't, I don't know, because I, um, I don't know that worked, I ever saw her in anything. She did TV and film up through the, I think, 2012 was her last movie. Hmm. Um, but it, she never had quite the, the, um, career that, that some of these other folks did. I mean, yeah. but she did, she did, uh, in the heat of the night and mad about you and some other stuff on TV. Um, uh, she directed a film in 1999. So, oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, not like she didn't, she didn't stop working. It's just that she didn't have, you know, necessarily because because of course the folks behind the camera on this film you know richard donner co-produced and directed it but this guy named chris columbus mm. with the screenplay yeah you know he's done a couple of three things and it was from a story by some guy named spielberg <laughs> now a lot of people a lot of people think spielberg directed this movie because it's what happens when you put spielberg's name on it right uh, but yeah, 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 he definitely didn't direct it. He was one of the story people behind it. Um, but you know, a small little group of people who we've never heard of who have never gone on to amount to anything. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, Donner, Columbus, and Spielberg, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, 
Um, the, the potential for this to be a disaster just because of the power of the names involved. Yeah. Um, and we've seen we've seen things like that happen. You know, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you bring in a lot of really talented people and it doesn't work. Well, and uh, the and the music by Dave Grusin. You know, Dave Grusin well, was not a was not an unknown either. And uh, Cindy Lauper, of course, did the music video. Uh, and she hated the song for a very long time. <laughs> um, and part of it came out of her experience. Apparently, part of it came out of her experience with working with the kids on the music video. Oh. Because she felt like they were just like super low energy. I want to say it was Sean Astin who said, no, we were just exhausted because <laughs> they made it during the film. Ah. Um, and they were yeah. just wiped out. That'll and apparently she, she's warmed to it over the years. And there was a Bob's Burger episode where she got asked to write a parody of it. And it, apparently about that point, she'd really started to appreciate the, uh, the song. Yeah. So the good news is, is that Cindy Lauper enjoys the song again. The bad news is, is that for a long time, she apparently was not a fan. No. <laughs> Uh, now, didn't didn't we have a story here a couple of weeks ago about Jeff Cohen having a health issue? There was a GoFundMe or some kind of a um, fundraiser. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, because he ended up going into uh, law. He, I, I think he went to law school. Mm -hmm. And wasn't it Richard Donner who helped pay for it? Um, yeah, um... Or, it was either Donner or Spielberg. One of them. Yeah, I think it was Donner. Um, I think they helped. Uh, they helped pay for his college. Yeah, he um, uh, apparently uh, has done pretty well. Uh, all things considered, mm -hmm. founding partner of Cohen and Gardner LLP. Um, so you know, can't complain that he's doing doing pretty well uh, in. Uh, in his chosen profession. And, you know, there's something that says that you have to go on and stay doing, being an actor. Not every child actor, a lot of child, child actors, uh, change careers. Uh, and it's always nice to see, you know, success follow them. Sure. Doesn't always happen, I'm afraid. Um, we're back to Corey Feldman. I mean, um, <laughs> Corey Haim auditioned for this as well. This is apparently, uh, this was right before Lost Boys, and they met here and became best friends when they were shooting Lost Boys and stayed friends until Haim, Haim killed himself. Right. I, I do remember a story of uh, Robert uh, Dobby trying to uh, sabotage Joe Pontigliano's audition oh. uh, by, by going in and, and telling everybody that uh, Joe uh, wore a wig. <laughs> to which uh, Joe Pontigliano, when he went, did his auditions, like, yeah, I wear a wig. I can make myself younger. I can make myself older. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? And, and apparently that rivalry just like carried over into the movie. And in fact, that uh, there's some uh, stories that uh, that rivalry between Davia and Pontigliano was the motivating factor to cast them as brothers. 
Yeah, and I think that even that even made it into the movie because uh, early on we see that Joey Pants is wearing a headpiece, uh, a toupee, and when they're um, when they're arguing toward the end of the movie, uh, uh, Robert Davi's character says something about, "I'm going to tell everybody you wear a wig." He's like, "I don't wear a wig," and it was actually it actually made it in there. I thought, "Oh, that's funny," because yeah, the the c- casting on this, the there are. And you're right, Tim. You put this amount, this much talent all together in one place. Now, granted, we're looking at it now from the perspective of uh, some years ago and mm-hmm. all of these people now, you know, Sean Astin and, and James Brolin, or Josh Brolin and, and all these people, we know them from other things. Right. And you look back and you think, oh, well, there's so many different ways it could have gone wrong, you know, egos and talent, whatever. But these kids had not done that much yet. Oh, no. And it still could have gone wrong. But (laughs) one thing, one thing I remember Richard Donner had said, I I caught a, I caught a behind the scenes clip one time when I was doing, doing my homework on this. And he said, all of the kids individually, are great kids. They're great to work with. I love I love being on set with them and all this. You know, they're going back and forth at the banner. Collectively as a group, however, it got a little overwhelming for him. And I think that that energy that comes out on the screen, you know, where everybody's talking over each other, everybody's yelling at each other. And blah, 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 blah. I can imagine the amount of multiple takes it would have been that would have been necessary for that. I, I can see any grown up getting a little overwhelmed by all of this. Just back and back and back and they go and go and go and go and go. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. There's a, um, the TV show evil has four girl, little four young girls on the show that play the daughters of one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. And they do that where they constantly, the mom will come in and say, so how was your day? And all four girls will start talking at once. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is that it works because of course the show's about evil and bad things. And you have this cute family dynamic, but you don't get that. I mean, they're, they're all, all the young actresses are very, very talented. And so you can tell this is a well-rehearsed kind of thing because it's hard and it can turn into to oral mud really, really easily. Yeah. And so it's not something you can get done right every single time. You know there's retakes involved. And, of course, with a, as much going on in, in a film like The Goonies, you know there had to be take after take after take of that. <laughs> yeah. There is a story um, about uh, John Matuzak, the, the actor who played uh, uh, played Sloth, um, and it took him about five hours each day just to get into the Sloth makeup. And uh, Richard Donner had uh, 
taking the kids aside as a group and said, okay, guys, um, this makeup, don't get it wet. Don't get it wet at all. And um, sure enough, w- once they got through the pirate ship, yeah, J- John Matuzak's makeup got really, really wet. <laughs> and He, do- he um, dove in the water. In the, well, well, yeah, yeah, but but it was uh, it was a little bit like before that. Uh, the, there were stories that you know they were splashing water on him and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, and that, but um, yeah, he, he, there were great stories uh, about John Matuzak that uh, he he didn't you know get mad and he was just a, a, a joy to work with. I think the. the the legacy of the film i think in many ways the positive experiences that people had there doesn't and and certainly these things may be out there that i just haven't seen them there's not a lot of oh this was a miserable experience oh this you know this traumatized me as a as a young actor or or performer and and that there's there's a lot of of nostalgia and pleasure of the memory for the people involved which is you know i mean not every film has that and not because anyone's particularly bad films are (laughs) feature films can be grueling experiences just in terms of the process um that you know you might be very proud of the work and think that making the film was really really hard but there seems to be a lot of of just real pleasure in people looking. They've they've had you know uh, reunions and table reads with the surviving cast members um, that I think uh, you know um, that have been you know these are people who enjoy each other's company and are excited to be around each other after all this time. So that's yeah. always that's so nice to see surviving cast members. Now remind me, I. I I have missed this. Who who have we who have we lost out of this cast? Um, <clears throat> John Matuzak was the first. He he unfortunately right. uh, died he of cancer a, a couple of years later. He played Sloth. Right. Um, and uh, Anne Ramsey, of course. Um, I want to say. Uh, no, Mary Elizabeth Trainer is still alive. Mary Elizabeth Trainer, of course, who was seen on a lot of television, played one of the moms. Uh, and I, I, I noticed also she played. I was like, she looks familiar. And and for the for the longest while, I was looking at it last night. I was thinking that looks like Catherine Mary Stewart, and that's not Catherine Mary Stewart. I know that's not Catherine Mary Stewart. Who is that? I finally had to look it up. And Mary Ellen Trainer, I'm looking at this, and, and I'm looking at her other credits. And Lethal Weapon is where mm-hmm. I recognize her from. Right. The the psychology the police the staff psychologist of the police department who really wants to get Riggs to talk about things. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's who that is. Right. I got right. you now. Right. That's it, it's weird when you see actors out of context from what you normally are used to seeing them and there's a there's there are a few of those here well i mean you look at some of these folks who you might not recognize for what they were better known for because of their in the film keith Mm -hmm. walker 
who played uh, uh, Mr. Walsh in The Goonies, was better known as a writer. He worked on a few things like, I don't know, M.A.S.H., Zero Hour for uh, Rod Serling. He wrote like twenty over twenty episodes oh, of wow. Zero Hour. I mean, this was he was he was like a a, a very accomplished uh, writer, uh, but he acted in Goonies on Mannix. Uh, he did Mission Impossible, um, but his his big his primary job was a writer. And so, if you uh, if you don't recognize the name and you know, yeah, he was he was busy with other things. <laughs> he was keeping busy. He was fun. Well, and he he did um, Free Willy. He wrote Free Willy, which was produced by Richard Donner. And I think that's I think they started talking about that idea when they were doing this. If if I'm not mistaken, I could be remembering that wrong. I've been up for a while today, so I'm tired. My brain is a little fogged, so my memory is not. This doesn't explain the other times that Jason's like this. I, but. I know, I know, I know. I have a, I have a, a, a Rolodex of note cards that have all of the different reasons why my brain is in a fog. So I can just, I can just cycle through them, and. So there's a certain one. percentage of our audience who the words Rolodex <laughs> and note cards are confusing them right now. Uh, call your parents. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time we made that joke? We haven't made that joke in a while. We haven't made that one in a while. Right. Did, did you did you realize, Mr. Harvey, that this is episode 275? We've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we keep coming up with things to talk about, which is kind of amazing. I know. We haven't tried to kill each other yet either. <laughs> Not as far as the audience knows. Well, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's been the occasional poison to coffee and the anvil above the doorway, doorway but yeah. you know, other than that. By the way, don't walk outside your home tonight. <laughs> oh. Now, one of the other cool things about this is that uh, in the grand history of the video game world, video game adaptations of movies games connected to films have a very poor track record. Mm. There is a grand history of abysmal video games connected to movies. I have not played either of the two Goonies games. But from all accounts, they were actually good games. Yeah, I haven't played them either. Something that you don't hear <laughs> if you've ever played the Goonie games guys tell us what it was like because I mean I keep reading about how these were actually well put together games and mm-hmm. most of the time that's just not yeah oh, uh, uh, E.T. from uh, released by Atari is is the greatest example of a terrible game don't go well, that, into a movie that and there's a Superman game um, which uh uh, has a notorious uh and it was i think it was connected actually was connected to the super movie. oh jason jason has brought the the cartridge there it is uh, right there iconic it is original and it works 
wow. Well, it plays. Whether or not it works is a question of the game. I, I, <laughs> I got him out of the pit. How many times? Every time. How many times have you played? Well, since I cleaned it up and brought it home uh, once. <laughs> I haven't had time. Statistically speaking. But. There you go. All right. See, there's a trick to it. It's all in the wrist. It's all in the wrist, right? Yeah, that's a deep dive. So the uh, the Atari, I I've got to carve out some time and connect this thing to one of the computers so we can stream the Atari on Twitch because mm-hmm. this is original and. The funny thing is that when I when I brought all this stuff home and I cleaned you know cleaned it all up and brought it in, I'm going through all of the different game cartridges to see which ones work, because I want to, the console works. Okay, now let's see how many of these games actually work. And I only had two that didn't work. And one of them was Zaxxon, which was a Coleco cartridge, and Pitfall, which was an Activision. And I was very disappointed that, that Pitfall won't work. But I'm going through all of these and I'm having to push it in and set it and, and just, you know, kind of wiggle it a little bit and make sure that it connects, make seats in there properly so it turns on and it's there. And most of the games give me a little fizz fuzz trying to, okay, yeah, I'm going to wake up. Not E.T., E.T. started up just like that, ready to go. Here we go. It's 1982 all over again. (laughs) There you go. And I stand corrected. There are actually four Goonies video games. There's the one that came out for Commodore 64. Oh. Um, There's the one that came out in... Commodore 64, Atari 8-bit, and Apple II in 85, right? Mm. Um, and uh, it was a puzzle game. Um, and 80, 86, Konami developed uh, games, which was Goonies 2. Is Konami still around at all, even? I have no idea. I don't know that um, is. And then 2007, there was Goonies Return to Astoria, which was a Flash-based online game, and then a Lego Dimensions Goonies game. Oh wow! Really? Uh, which, yeah, which came with a sloth minifigure. Huh. Oh. And I kind of think I want to find that one because that um, you're able to change into the other Goonies and construct a pirate ship and skeleton organ, and unlocks a bonus level that, that adapts the plot of the film. I want to see this thing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, we. Uh, I just looked them up. Konami does still exist. Um, they have a lot of digital inter- entertainment, some anime stuff, some video games. They sponsor some esports. So yeah, they've been around. They're still. They're still around. Well, and you know the other thing too is you got the the Funko Pops that just were released, and we have we have Chunk, Data, 
Sloth and I think Mikey. I don't know. I, I, or Mouth. We've got four of them. And uh, I need I need to go and look to see what ones we have. But you know, I know we have Chunk. That was the first one we got. Um, sure. But uh, everything's a pop. Everything everything gets a Funko Pop. Oh, well, of course. We don't have Funko Pops. But we should probably get some custom-made Funko Pops so everybody's got their own pop, maybe. And then everybody who has worked for us in the past, who doesn't work for us anymore will be jealous because they don't have a custom Funko Pop. There we go. Sure. Uh, Mikey. Uh, Mindy says we've got Mikey. So we, there, is, okay. there isn't a Funko Pop for mouth yet. All right. <clears throat> now, you're talking about the video game adaptations and that. Um, and, and getting back to the, the Goonies uh, film, it's one of the last... I guess you would say analog kids adventure films, you know, where, where they go out and, and we'll be back by dinner, you know, and, and there's no way to contact the adults or whatever. And, and there are video games, but you have to go to an arcade, which was a, a whole different like social, you know, Mecca where yeah. you would like get together and, and hang out and stuff like that. And um, I remember after seeing the Goonies, um, I, I uh, along with a, a lot of other kids, uh, just really wanted to run, you know, to my backyard and, and, and see if there was like a, you know, a hidden path in the woods and that and, and go on one of my own adventures, you know? I think to some degree, it was one of the, it's the tail end of a period where you could envision there being a hidden pirate ship somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that the, for, for all that the the modern world has has expanded to the point where you know you can you can easily learn about other countries and cultures and things like that and you know the internet has made the world more accessible the idea of the this kind of mystery in your backyard yeah doesn't seem doesn't have that kind of uh, uh doesn't it doesn't seem as likely. Nowadays, it would be a found footage project. <laughs> so potentially, from a kid's point of view, I would possibly enjoy that because it could at least explain the crappy camera work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they got to learn sometime, and yeah. it's like the early stages of it. Of course, now with their, you know, they do it with their smartphone. They probably got a lot better control, but. I have, I have no, that reminds me, I have noticed of late on Twitter, Apple has got this new thing that they've been doing. They're running a series of very short video clips, uh, a series called Shot on an iPhone. And mm. they're basically going through various different, very low budget DIY, here's how you can do effects in camera, you know, giant kid little little dad uh right. the the spooky ooky uh lights in the basement in the haunted thing and all these uh, that's really kind of an interesting thing for them to be doing that because it does it does show i mean it it's guerrilla camera operations like we've done in i don't know how many different projects 
and Apple sitting there completely embracing the indie filmmaker who's all, all he's got is an iPhone. Okay, well, here's how you maximize it. And that really kind of goes into just, you know, everything like what we're talking about with the Goonies, because it's that kind of group of kids. If they had had an iPhone, they would be making a movie in the backyard. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's Andy Hardy. It's, you know, Mickey Rudy, Judy Garland type stuff. You know, instead of putting on a show, they're going to go off on an adventure. But it's the same kind of mentality from that age group. And I think a lot of them, a lot of us identified with those kids because we were the same age. Yeah. That's us. Well, and, and we were, we were, we've talked about this before. Some things come along when you are just the right age. Yeah. And it captures the imagination because you can put yourself in that part. And it doesn't matter what age you're at, right? Some, it's, it, it can happen when you're young. It can happen when you're, when you're older. Um, you can find that moment, you know, where that character, you connect with that character in a very real way. And for younger, for, for, for teenagers, it can be that feeling of awkwardness, of not fitting in, of having that group of core friends who will back you up for anything. And you might bicker and fight all the time, but they are your friends. Yeah. You know that, you know, that feels very real. And having that and seeing that up on screen, uh, having that kind of connection. And if you have it or if, if you don't and you'll want to have that kind of connections to people, it's a really, you know, I think they, it helped you know, if you were of that age, if you're maybe between, I don't know, 10 and 20, <laughs> it, it, it felt very, you know, it felt very real. I, I think some of that, too, is, you know, when I, so 85, I was 15, I had a group of friends like that, and, and we went and did everything together. You know, we went to the movies, we went out to eat, we went to the video arcade, we went, you know, all of the different, anything that was going on, we all went together. And it didn't matter what it was, hey, we're we're going to, we're going to the library. Okay, we go to the library. I mean, any, any kind of thing. And as we got older and then we were able to drive... Then, you know, hey, let's go get something to eat. Let's go, you know, we run through the drive-thru or we go to the movies or whatever. And there's always, there's always the posse. You know, there's always your crew. You guys, you're always hanging out together. You're doing everything together. You're complaining about girls to each other. You know, all of these different things. And it's that same kind of group dynamic that we see in the Goonies. You know, getting along or not, this it's it's another thing. But these these kids are inseparable, and yep. you can you get that vibe. Even even though you know, yeah, it's a bunch of kids. They're actors. They've probably never even met before all of this. None of them knew each other, but the dynamic is there that we can identify with and sit there and go, "That's us." We do that kind of thing. That's that's who we are. That we go and do right. the same kind of running off to find the adventure. You don't get that anymore. 
Because no. kids, kids are always on the internet. You know, let's well, and I, I, I think that the, you know, well, yeah, I mean, if this being being off on an adventure without your parents, being off in a world without where it was just you and your friends, mm-hmm. um, and being cut off, the the idea that you could actually not be connected to the outside world at this point, yeah, um, it's. It's why you get into a lot of horror films and you're well, you see a lot of horror films that are set in the past <laughs> because there's a whole lot of hang on. Deet, 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 deet. Hello, nine one one? Yes, yeah, please. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm being threatened by a dangerous person with a knife. And they're like, Okay. Um <laughs> Well, it's like Christopher said, it's you know, it's that that the technology isn't there yet. You know, you don't right. have the cell phones, you don't have the computers, you don't have the 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 pocket pagers. I mean, when yeah, when I was eighteen, well, no, eighteen twenty, I was twenty twenty one. I had a job where I was I was a courier, and I had a pager. Sure. We didn't have cell phones yet, right. and that pager. To the day I die, I will regret giving my mother the number. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know how many times. That pager went off when I was stuck in the middle of five o'clock traffic in downtown Dallas. And I don't have a phone, mother. I can't call you back. (laughs) And the pager goes off five minutes later. And then it goes off five minutes later. And then the 911 version of the pager goes off five minutes after that. I was like, I'm in the middle of the highway. That was pretty much the experience for everybody that I know who had a pager during that time period. Yeah. It's like, if only I had completely failed to give anyone that I actually know this number, <laughs> my life would have been so much better. Uh, right, right. Uh, oh man. Well, and cell phones are not much, not much of an improvement over any of that. I mean, you're you're so connected, you're so wired in all the time. Anybody can find you anywhere, or you can find anybody anywhere. Are you looking stuff up? The the analog nature of this movie, I think Christopher made a, a, a very good point on this. You couldn't make this movie now. Not the same way. Well, you'd have to make it as a period piece. You'd have to make it as a film set in the 70s or 80s. You couldn't do it set now. You could do a film... Well, it, you could, but you'd have to, you'd have, to have a way... To cut the cut off their technology, you'd have to you know there something in the something in the caves is cutting off our our internet signal. I got no signal. But this is, I think, one of the reasons why we never got a sequel, and why it's good that we didn't. Is yeah. that there are times when, and, and I, I know this is a hard thing to get around the minds of the Hollywood bean counters who want to make you know bank on nostalgia. And hey, I completely, sometimes you get the sequel to the film that you love and it's great and that's wonderful, but it's always a risk. We've seen a few films where it hasn't worked out well, a couple of three. <laughs> um, and, but I think that films that hit at a certain point at a certain time, capturing lightning in a bottle again is really, really hard. Yeah. And, and it's, I'm not saying don't chase after it. When the opportunity comes to make, you know, if you if you've got a great sequel script and you've got that cast and all those things, 
you know, maybe it's going to work out great. I'm not saying don't chase after it if you're a storyteller. I'm just saying that it's hard. Be aware. It's not an easy thing to pull off. And for all the fact that so many people it, it, over the years, Donner wanted to make a sequel. Some of the other cast members were, were talking about a sequel. It was going to happen. Then it wasn't going to happen. No, it's really going to happen. And then it wasn't going to happen. We've got a script and they don't have a script. And all, I mean, year after year, it was, there was this one been going on since 2000 and yeah, at least 2004. I remember one year, everybody got together for a photo shoot at one point and everybody was back. Every, everybody that was still alive was back mm-hmm. for this photo shoot. And that's when the, that's when the, the chatter about a sequel were really ramped up and yes, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. And then it never did. And I think you're right. I think it's a good thing that we didn't get a sequel because you're, there are, there are some, films that should be just the one story in in 2010 um there was some uh some noise from uh richard donner about it uh possibly uh becoming a musical oh and, that's right and uh he said that he had uh the writer set up and everything like that, but, but nothing went forward on that. But now thinking about it, I'm like, okay, either this could be like, you know, Tommy by the who, which was like amazing, or it could be Spider-Man turn off the dark. You know, I don't want that, you know, or it could be Superman, the musical. I'm, I'm not saying there isn't a musical to be made of the Goonies. I'm saying, Think long and hard uh, about whether or not this is something you really want. I'm I'm actually kind of curious about Bruce because we talked about this on Saturday. This is something we that's did. going on up in Seattle. This is a musical behind the scenes making of Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> this like, actually, I mean, if it's the, the, well, there's enough funny stories from the making of Jaws. Uh, that you could actually the behind the scenes. I mean, if they, it's again, it's going to come down to the script and it's going to come down to the to the, the music and the lyrics, right? Obviously, it's a musical. Yeah. But there, the, the material, is potentially there. <laughs> if they can pull it off, this could be a lot of fun. And unfortunately, because it's not, I mean, it's it, you're not looking at something where you know. At least it's going to initially it's run is going to be in Seattle. Yeah. Um, It could be really great. We may not ever get to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Mindy's asking a question here. Since we're talking about 80s stuff and remakes and and that kind of thing, uh, she's asking what we think about the Flash Gordon news about it being now uh, Taika Waititi's animated project has developed now into a live action project. We are going to get a live action Flash Gordon from Taika Waititi. I I think he would be a a great uh, director of that type of subject matter, and that I think he would honor it just enough, even you know with the uh, bombastic sets that uh, 
De Laurentiis, you know, okayed and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I also think that he would, uh, he would be the one to handle it with, kind of with kid gloves, you know, to make it campy where it needs to be, but also put like heart into it. And that's why I think it's, it's a great choice of a director. I'm I'm not sure that camp would be the way that I'd go with it, you know, like the the Sam Jones Flash Gordon with Queen's soundtrack and all of that. Um, but if you are to go from the original source material and take a serious look at Flash Gordon, the way sci-fi kind of attempted to do but failed miserably at, um, if you did a, a legitimately serious straight adaptation. Taika Waititi has my cautious optimism attached here because of how he did Thor Ragnarok and how much of Jack Kirby is on the screen in Thor Ragnarok. I looked at that and it, as soon as I saw parts of the set, I thought, Kirby storyboarded this, you know, it, it, this is, it, this has got Kirby all over it. And that right. was perfect for that. I think, I think Waititi might have the sensibility to pull it off if they don't do the eighties movie. Well, okay. First of all, you're not going to recapture that eighties movie. You're just not. No, okay? you're not. Because Freddie Mercury isn't with us. Max von Sydow isn't with us. You're done. Okay. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't do it. Um, because, I mean, that film, again, product of its time, mm-hmm. right place, right time, that cast, that production. Yeah. You're not going to reproduce that. I wonder who he's going to get to play Flash. Because here's, here's a, you do it you do it a couple of ways. My my take would be get an unknown. Mm. Get somebody who is Flash Gordon, not name as Flash so Gordon. Playing Flash Gordon right now. But you know what's going to happen. It's going to be Chris Hemsworth, and he's going to play Flash Gordon because he's, you know, beefy hunk of the, of the year type of character instead of you know, somebody maybe more along the lines of, um, oh, who would, Sean Patrick Flannery, maybe. Mm. You know, somebody who's got a little bit of edge, not glamour. You know, Flash Gordon doesn't need to be a pretty boy. He's a star athlete, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's, you know, cover a GQ People magazine type of athlete. Well, but there's also a history of having him being, a, you know, a good-looking fellow. I think, I think that you're, if you're looking at potential ways you can do this, I mean, with your expectations, with this director, mm. there's going to be a fair amount of humor. There's going to be a fair amount of, of heart sneaking its way in mm-hmm. um but uh, okay so you can either have very campy or something that is a little more centered i think no matter what we're going to look at something where there's going to be humor baked into it 
because it's just to who this director, you know, that's what he brings to the project. You look at yeah. any of his films and you're going to find, uh, you know, however you feel about, you know, some of the subject matter, um, there's all it, there's always humor uh, baked into, in, in some cases, some very dark areas. Um, you know, Jojo Rabbit was dark material. Yeah. Um, well, and, and as long as the humor is organic, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Well, if it, I think if that, it's I think forced, you can, then you're going to have a problem. I don't think you're going to have that problem with him. I, I could be wrong, but past history implies you're not going to have that problem. Yeah. My only concern is that the 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 trick here, because it's the same thing we saw with, with John Carter, uh, and is that so much of this stuff with these stories, with these characters, was foundational to what we consider some of the big modern science fiction tropes and and just storylines yeah. and making the trick is going to be to make that fresh for modern audiences because you don't want to feel the danger of becoming appearing cliched even though you did it first or this yeah. character walked those 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 roads first well and they need um, to take a page from that kid you know whoever that kid was who put together that john carter trailer before star wars before superman before indiana jones you know there was john carter you know that you have to establish the history of this character mm-hmm. the legacy of all of this that has come before See, that's what you, you get. You, you get your Marvel credits, right? We consider all the things blur by. Mm. This is how you do the. This is how you do the opening credits for the new Flash Gordon series. Is you get your hands on the rights to every other visual of Flash Gordon, whether it's comic book, book cover, movie, radio serial, and that's your opening credits. I like that. It's just sit there and go, and yep. you know, and that way you even get to sit there and and you know sneak in. Uh, uh, Max von Sydow, and and you'll you'll license one Queen song for fifteen seconds, and <laughs> okay, here is here is the thing: a live action Flash Gordon by Taika Waititi. Given his sensibilities, it will not be complete without the presence of Brian Blessed. He has got to be in this. If you're doing live action. I would say the odds are much, much better (laughs) that we will get Brian Brian Blessed involved in this this way. Uh Because I think that, well, I I I can see it happening a lot more it's a lot more likely this way With, it'll be yeah. very interesting to see uh uh taka's uh, take on uh the hawkman and and also aboria aboria was it was a great set and, and and unfortunately they didn't really give a lot of uh time or or character depth in um the uh 80s flash gordon to uh to the prince Oh, uh, played so by many, Timothy Dalton. There's so many. There's so many aspects of that universe that just haven't been explored in live action. Mm-hmm. A lot of times for bu- budget or time. 
I mean, budget and time really has played yeah. in. And, and some of the effects work he couldn't do at the time. Um, so there's all kinds of, you know, w ways to explore this world that, that people haven't seen on the screen before. Uh, for Flash Gordon, I mean, again, yeah. you have to, again, I think the biggest, the biggest risk is making this feel fresh and new for modern audiences. Yeah. Which is, I think one of the things, you know, you go back to, to Brian Blessed for a second. What we need to do for social media is we need to start a hashtag. Blessed's alive. <laughs> because he is. Get him he in is. the movie. But now, you know, hey, you know, we, we reach out to Taika Waititi. Say, okay, Taika Waititi, you know, Brian Blessed's still alive, right? <laughs> Isn't he a, a, an accomplished uh, mountaineer as well? Uh, blessed, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he's uh, he is he is a force of nature, and the fact that he is unstoppable um, I mean, I uh, he is eighty four years old. Mm. And he is just, uh, you know, there's been video stuff, especially during the pandemic times where, where he's been just really, uh, you know, very, you know, it's, it's, you cannot ignore the energy coming off this man, even through a video, uh, you know, Zoom sucks, sucks the life out of many a meeting. Uh, but not if Brian Blessed's involved. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, new goal. Uh, I need to get Brian Blessed on live from the bunker to do an interview, to do a one hour. Let's just talk about everything. Brian Blessed. All right. I'm going to add that to my TV <laughs> list this week. <laughs> Gordon's alive. I want him to, I want him to open the show with that. One of my favorite all-time Brian Blessed stories is when he was in his 20s, he helped a woman give birth. He bit through the umbilical cord himself. <laughs> and you know what? It's one of those stories you're like, yeah, okay. I completely believe this 100% that Brian Blessed... You're, walk, you're, you're in a park, and suddenly you go into labor. Brian uh -huh. Blessed appears. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's going to bite through the umbilical cord. You just know it. I mean, it's like, even if you weren't expecting it, okay, this is what's going to happen. You know, you just know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I didn't realize this. I'm looking at his biography on IMDb. He, he, he completed cosmonaut training. He's a trained astronaut. On top of everything else. He, it, okay, you know, Brian Blessed, they actually wanted him to, they, they wanted to cast him as, he was one of the people they wanted to cast as the doctor at one point. Oh, that would have been fun. And he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> because they wanted to him, they wanted him to play it much more, they wanted him to play it down. And I, I don't think Brian Blessed actually functions in lower gears. Um, no. And I can't imagine. I mean, 
Can you imagine just the fact that the Daleks would turn and run away? The Cybermen would just surrender. I mean, you would just, the show would the show wouldn't you know. And the Doctor wins. You know. Yeah. Yeah. He says, "I would love to be in Doctor Who if they could find me another part." Well, because he appeared on the show. He was on Blake uh, Seven. Was he on? Was, did he? Did he, he a, appear he, on Doctor he, Who? He was, in, he was on Doctor Who. Um, I want to say that Perry ended up getting married off to him. Was that him? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's who. It was. Oh, was it I Perry? I can't. Remember. I can't remember. But yeah, anyway, Perry uh, ended yeah, up getting Doctor yeah Who. marrying off and and leaving the show. It was a very weird, weird. It's how you yeah it's, it's how you write a character yes. off without yeah doing it well. But <laughs> speaking of writing everyone off and uh, and weird departures, that's that's a good place where we can make our departure and. Uh, and uh, write this one off uh, in the history books. Two hundred and seventy-five is done. So, uh, so we will head out. Christopher Hoffman, thanks very much for being here, sir, and be part Thank of you, the sir. conversation. And uh, thanks to everybody who was uh, watching, and uh, those of you who are listening to this as a podcast. Uh, we want your feedback as well. What were some of the favorite parts of the Goonies? The things that you like, maybe things you don't like. I mean, there are probably some people out there who don't like the Goonies. We want to hear from you too. The email address, h2o at sci-fi for me.com, or you can leave a comment on any of the places where you hear or watch the show. And we will do this all again probably next week, assuming that the... The computers cooperate, and I'm awake, so. (laughs) All right, we're going to head out. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Have a good night. Good night. Night. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.